and let's open with prayer. Father, we pray, Lord, that we would be edified and encouraged in the word. We pray, Lord, that we would be taught and to understand the message that your Bible would reveal to us. We pray that we would be open to the word and the word would be open to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, it's possible that you can be around the Bible, you can read the Bible. It's possible to have heard a lot of the Bible, listen to people preach about the Bible or professors talk about the Bible and still overlook or be blind to a very prominent fact in the Word. Something that is mentioned explicitly many times over. Um, as an example, in our culture, we're getting to the place where there's probably a lot of people that don't even associate Christmas with the birth of our, the Savior or Easter with his resurrection. If we wanted to take a different example, if we, there could be maybe a song or a movie that I could mention to you, something like O Little Town of Bethlehem that almost anybody knows the words of. And yet I'll bet, just out of ritual, habit, tradition, people could sing that and never enter into their mind what they're even singing about. And what that is talking about is Jesus, the Savior, came into this earth in a very small place over there in Israel. Well, it's the same thing is possible in reading the Bible when it comes to our topic tonight. Let's start verse 1, John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And of course, the next verses go on to where Jesus is telling them, you guys you don't, may not necessarily know how I'm leaving or where, how to get where I'm going, but uh, Thomas jumps in and asks him, you know, you, you tell us that we know the way. We don't know where you're going or how to get there. And you could very easily just quickly focus on something like you can in all of the Bible verses, something other that is directly at the center of what is spoken here. Jesus is going out of his way to tell his disciples something. That he's leaving and he's not going just so he can take a nap. And he's not going just to go on vacation. He's going to prepare a place specifically for them. And he doesn't stop there. He expounds on the idea that Someday, I am going to come back and get you, receive you unto myself, he says, so that you may be with me also. You may be there in my Father's house. Now, the reason I'm, I'm belaboring intentionally this idea is because you can go to a lot of places, a lot of churches. And you could sit there for possibly 10 years and never hear anybody talk about the idea that he literally, he's coming again. And it's a very central theme, not just in the New Testament, the whole Bible. Now, the New Testament, I tried to do a little bit of research on this. I didn't take the time to go through all 1,875, and that's the number I came up with. Verses in the Bible, specific references to the second coming of Christ. Almost 2,000. Seven out of every ten chapters 
specifically mentions him coming again. That's a lot. 23 out of the 27 books in the New Testament mention, or some of them, like Thessalonians, focus on the entire idea that he's coming back. And you may wonder, well, why, 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 why is that an important thing? Well, first of all, if you've been around me very long, I, I really enjoy to try to make people sensitive to a certain fact. Every word, every comma, every place name, every number, everything in the Bible is there for a specific reason. That we don't just read over it like it's Shakespeare, and that it's poetry, and it kind of sounds good and tickles you. We read it like there's information here we have to find. The Bible talks about mining gold, mining silver, precious metals out of the Bible, out of the Word. God designed this thing so that, yes, a very cursory surface reading, you can get a very important message and be saved. Absolutely. There's also something described about the Bible that it's the glory of men to be able to search through this sucker and find things that not everybody sees. Now, this subject, the fact that Jesus is coming again, yes, in some places it is maybe kind of hidden, but it's also just a baseball bat to the forehead. It's right in your face. Just like this. The reason he's talking to his disciples is, I'm coming back. He's preparing them, I'm leaving, but I'm going for a purpose. There are several purposes. This part is I'm going to go build and prepare something specifically for you guys. And then I'm going to come back, as it says in verse 3, I will come again and receive you unto myself. The, the, we're going to get into why is this important. The, the, the teaching or the having it in the, your consciousness, the fact that he is coming back, it's a Bible the Bible teaches that that does something to the believer. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it, there's a purpose for the Bible pointing this out all the time. And it may just talk about a certain story and then at the very end throw in, and he's coming back. And it does that for a reason. It's supposed to be on our mind. It should affect the decisions that we make. It should affect how we, what job we take, how we raise our kids, who we marry. All kinds of things. He's coming back. One reason I think that, that this jumps out at me is when you read the Bible, you see that when he came the first time, how many people recognized him? How many people knew exactly, I know who exactly that is. That's the Son of God. Yes, there were some big crowds. But what happened as he got closer to Calvary? Those crowds faded away. How many people were there that absolutely knew, like Peter said, we know for sure we are certain, we are convinced that you are the Christ. We know for sure you're here right now. And there were many, very small numbers. And then he was standing there in their presence in the flesh. And they still didn't know it. So this idea that he's coming back again, see the Bible mentions it all the time for a reason. We're supposed to be able to be prepared for that event. The people, when he came the first time, they were woefully unprepared for the most part. Terribly. Acts chapter 1. This is a strange place to start this idea because 
Acts chapter 1 and verse 9. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. And when he had spoken these things, and while they beheld, they were staring at him, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. In the Christian world, what do we call this event? The Ascension, we even have a, a name for it because it's the time when, after he raised from the dead, walked with the disciples for 40 days, then he went back to heaven for good. The Ascension. It's when he left the earth. And look at what is associated with him leaving the earth. Next verse. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, so he's not even out of their sight, he is still, quote, on or in the clouds. He went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Now that signifies these, they were not average Joes on the earth. These were either angels from heaven or they were men from heaven dressed in their white apparel. They had a message in verse 11. Which also said, you men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. I cannot read that without smiling, almost laughing. Don't tell me God does not have a sense of humor. He is not off or out of the earth yet. He's not even back to heaven yet. And what's the message from heaven? That's the first thing these people say. They don't say. Now, as he said, you go to Jerusalem and Samaria and the other most parts. He, he didn't repeat any of that stuff. He didn't give them any instructions about what to do the next day, that day, that week. It was the overall fact. He's not even gone yet. And why are you guys sitting here standing and staring? He's coming back. I find that amazing. That, to me, that's a, that's a, a signal from heaven. What is so important? What is the most important? He's coming back. And the, it goes, the Bible goes out of its way to say, this same Jesus. This same Jesus. And in the same manner as you see him going, he's coming back to the earth. Again, this is the ascension. We normally don't think of the ascension as associated with his return. But these messengers want us to think that. That's the last message they send with his disciples. You see him going, and you guys have had him for years here. You just remember, he's coming back. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. In verse 22. He said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what you shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body more than raiment. And in these verses, he's talking about earthly anxiety. Don't worry about what you have to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. And I think it's in Matthew where in this event it's described where Jesus says the God takes care of the lilies, he takes care of the sparrows, and you are much more than that. 
don't worry about these earthly anxieties and considerations. And we read that and we encourage each other as we should. But what's the whole message of this? As you keep reading, verse 28 is where he's talking about he clothes the grass, the grass of the field. Uh, verse 33 he says, sell what you have, give alms. Don't even worry about storing stuff up for yourself. Provide for yourself bags which wax not old wear. A treasure in the heavens. Not now he's starting to move the conversation toward the thought of storing something in heaven. And why would we do that? Well, he says, so that no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. And there's a lot of wonderful messages about that. But always keep reading. That, you know, the biggest problem, maybe, that Christians that we have is we'll read three or four verses. And we'll take everything we think we can get out of those three verses without taking the, big, the biggest message that the whole context is talking about. And all of this continues, verse 35, let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. That's talking about being ready. See, so he just said, don't worry about what you eat and the clothes you have. Heck, even sell some of the stuff you have. You can give alms to the poor and you store up your money or your treasure in heaven, and he goes on to say, he keeps continuing the same topic, verse 36, and ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding. He's coming back. That when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. What's the biggest message about not having earthly anxieties about food? clothing, housing, selling to give alms to the poor, to storing up stuff in heaven. What's the overall reason for doing that? So that you're ready for his coming. That's the whole reason he's, he's talking about this. Verse 37, Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself, make them to sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch, or come in the third watch, to find them so, blessed are those servants. It paints the picture of somebody who is ready, who is watching, who is waiting for him. When the Bible uses the word blessed, that's a big word. It's not talking about an extra dollar to the minimum wage. Being biblically blessed, heavenly blessed, it's talking about eternal rewards. And somebody that this is describing who is ready for their master, who is, you can tell that it's a, it's a mindset. If you're ready when he knocks on the door, if you are gird about, in other places in the Bible it talks about not having your Shame being as being naked, that if he finds you unawares and you're not expecting him to come back, that people may see your shame. This is talking about you are gird, you're clothed, you're ready for his appearing. Verse 40, Be ye therefore also ready, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not. Now there is an interesting topic. The New Testament talks about what we could maybe 
use the phrase the doctrine of imminence, meaning he can come at any time. That verse, be ready also. You don't know when he's coming. That is throughout the New Testament. And there's no verse that has the phrase doctrine of imminence. That's just something people that like to study the Bible make up, but it happens to be accurate. That he could come at any time. His return is imminent. And people will say, well, <laughs> the disciples thought in their day he would come back, and the people after that thought he would. It doesn't matter. That doesn't mean God is wrong. His desire is for mankind, his followers, to live how? Ready. He, he could come at any time. Now there's a reason for that too. There's a reason for that. Maybe you don't have a pet peeve. I, I shouldn't use that. But you ever pull up in front of somebody that you're supposed to pick up, take somewhere, and you honk, and you honk, and you put it down in drive and put it back up just so they can see the lights go off and on. And you have to wait. And they come out the door and they get halfway down the sidewalk and go, and back into the house they go. Because they forgot a wallet, a purse, a phone, something. It never, ever makes the person in the car happier. Ever. It only creates, what, more tension. That, they're, they're ready to go. They want to leave. It's never a good thing to have to wait on somebody. There's no hidden messages here, wife. None. Be ready. He comes at an hour when you, when you know not. And the Bible now, after telling us this, that you should be ready, it now goes out of its way in places in the New Testament to tell you that there's a reward for that person who is mindful, who's always thinking, well, yeah, I haven't seen him, but I know the promise that he made. And there's something about the God that we serve, people. He takes delight in keeping his word. It's from the beginning of the Bible all throughout. When he told Adam and Eve, if you eat of the tree, you're going to die. He wasn't kidding. They spiritually died. That's why they have to be, we have to be born again. God did not come down and renegotiate his word ever. He never does. He loves to write it down, wait a while, and see if people forget, and then who will remember it's amazing that way. You know, the other, quote, gods of this earth are not that way. The Islamic god Allah. If you do some research, do a little study, and maybe that's not the healthiest thing, but if you learn about the Muslim god, he is capricious. He can do anything. He can do anything. There is no set character that he has to follow. He can literally do anything he wants. Now, in one sense, the God of the Bible, yes, he's sovereign and he can do what he wants, but you know what he'll never do. He is limited that he will not break his word. And he goes out of his way to tell you all kinds of things about himself and all kinds of things he's going to do, and he never breaks his word. He loves that. He wants that character to be in the minds of his people. If he said it, you can count on it. And this idea, he could come at any time. The doctrine of imminence. He could come at any time. Let's go to Titus chapter 2. Titus is a small little book. Where is it? Right before you get to Hebrews or Philemon and Hebrews. Titus chapter 2 in verse 12. 
teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now that's a decent summation of the New Testament, isn't it? Tells us how we're supposed to live. Be godly, be soberly, live righteously and godly. And the next verse is an indication of why. Looking for. That's an active verb. That is not, or I could point out, this goes along with what we just read in, in the Gospels, where you don't want to be caught unawares, off guard. You're supposed to be looking for the car pulling up to pick you up to go bowling. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're you're sensitive to every word in the Bible that you read, you'll start to notice something. In talking about the second coming, we're supposed to be looking for it an active participation of we're supposed to look for it. I don't think, I honestly, I'm not trying to just sound important. I don't think that the Holy Spirit instructed Paul, had him write it this way, just so that it sounded maybe a little different from other verses or sounded poetic to our ears. The idea of just looking for, I think he means exactly what he's saying. We are supposed to study Show ourselves approved and look for this blessed hope. Look for it. Get somebody prepared for it. Because as we read, Jesus said that when the Son of Man comes, there isn't going to be any notice. Now we're getting close to this. We need to differentiate some terms and get some definitions here. Because we use the phrase of the second coming and his appearing. We may use the phrase being caught away in the rapture that the Bible does teach. And it's good to have in your mind and to know the differences. What the Bible teaches and the reason there's this doctrine of imminence, the fact he could come at any time, is because the Bible teaches us that when he does come for his saints, not coming for everybody, when he comes for His people, as what this verse says, those that are looking for him, that is going to be like a thief in the night. There isn't going to be the advance notice of, well, you've lived like a hellion your whole life, and you know what, the last ten minutes you get yourself cleaned up and you're fine. It's meant to discourage that. Just think with me. We all have human nature. If every one of us knew that in exactly... 5,222 days from right now, Jesus would come the next day. How would you live the next 5,000 days? It's very simple. If the kids know mom and dad will not be home till midnight. It's a fact. Unless they're really good kids. Unless one of them's Anna. They're probably not going to be vacuuming, doing dishes, and doing everything they're supposed to up until... About 11.30. They're going to have ice cream, popcorn with extra butter. They may have a a glitter bomb. They're going to do all kinds of things because they know they've got time to clean it up. And the Bible points this out. There there is this idea 
The next time we see Jesus is not, now please hear me, no confusion. The next time we see Jesus is not when he is going to physically come to this earth, set up the throne of David, sit on it, and start ruling the world. Now that's going to happen, but that's not the next time we see him. The Bible tells us that the next time we see him is when he steps out of heaven, there's a shout of a trumpet, and he calls us out of here, and those that are looking for him, the righteous redeemed, are snatched out. And then gets bad on the earth. There's a cleansing. That's the book of Revelation. The hail, the fire, the plagues, the wrath of God gets poured into the earth. He first removes his kids out of the way. He always does, always in the Bible. Noah was protected in that oak, ark. The angels went in and got Lot and his family out before the fire rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah. He always gets his kids out of the way of wrath, his that's when his anger... Now, God does discipline us. He tells us in Proverbs that if he loves you, what will he do to you? He'll correct, he'll chasten. That's when he corrects, chastens, and makes you a better person. That's not when he's angry. When he's angry, his wrath and indignation, that's when it boils over, and after that, almost no flesh survives. So before the earth gets all this stuff in Revelation, he takes his people out of the way. I'm just, I want to clarify the terms here. Second coming means, what we usually mean by that phrase is he comes all the way down to this earth, he cleanses the earth from the sinners, and he sets up rain here to rule forever. That's his second coming. He comes all the way to the earth. If we use the word appearing, what we're really talking about is what we'll get to here. The Bible says he's going to appear in the clouds. He's not coming all the way down here. He just steps out of heaven, let's get out of here. And he snatches people out before the mess starts. This is why we're supposed to live with the expectation. I mean, it could come at any time. What if it was reversed? What if we knew he was going to come here first, and then you'd have some time after that to get cleaned up? It would not help us to live soberly, righteously, godly. Because we know I can wait till the warning signs come and I'll get cleaned up. Now, I'm not saying cleaning up meaning what the blood of Jesus can't do. I'm talking about living a lifestyle that is not conforming to the word. Trying to skate on the edge to just get by. We're supposed to live a certain way. Let's go to... Well, we started that. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy, so back up just a page or two. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. Paul is talking about his life is coming to an end. He knows it. And he says, I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. He knows he's leaving the earth. I have fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, or because I've done that, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. There, that, even, that even tweaks it a little bit. Is the Christian supposed to be scared of his appearing. 
Now, in the sense that we fear the Lord, yes, we do, we do not want to, I don't, I don't want to offend him. I don't want to do anything that, that causes him shame. But this is talking about a love for the idea that he's coming back. And when I say coming back, in this verse, his appearing. This is talking about when he steps out of heaven and he calls his church out of the earth. And Paul says when that when this stuff happens, I'm going to get this crown of righteousness. Reward. The Bible talks, there's another thing that we read over all the time because somehow it got into us that, well, God doesn't really hand things out. He doesn't really care what you do. Wrong. It says over and over and over that he will reward every man according to his works. It's going, what happens in heaven is going to be a little bit dependent. Your rewards are going to be dependent on what we do here. That's a fact. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. We're close here. Hebrews chapter 9. Hmm. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. And it is appointed unto men once to die. So we know our subject. It's talking about leaving this earth, but after this, the judgment. Dying is associated with a judgment. It, that, that's the nature of our life here on this earth. It's almost a proving ground. We live, we die, and after this, there is a judgment. Verse 28, Because of that, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. So that tells us how we can get to heaven. It tells us our road, our door. How do we get to the Father? By what Christ did for us, bearing our sins. The second half of verse 28. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. A couple words, phrases in here we really got to master. Do you notice it continues to use this word appear? Our last three verses that we've read, that we've focused on, it's not talking about when he comes down here physically to stand on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. It's specifically talking about those that look for him shall he appear the second time. Those that look for him also. So it's talking about his appearing. It's not talking about when he physically comes down here with the crown, stays here and starts kicking evil out. That's not exactly what it's talking about. That'll happen a little later. Read verse 28 again. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin, unto salvation. It says he's unto them that look for him. It is there again. We are supposed to, we are taught, we are admonished to be on the lookout. I'm, I'm intentionally hitting and beating this dead horse because how often do you hear it this way? How many people that would consider themselves Christians and read the Bible even know about his appearing, his second coming, 
How many people think of it in terms of, we're supposed to be looking for that? I mean, most people think, God, I ain't going to tell anybody I'm looking for that. I don't want to be thought a weirdo in the teacher's lounge. Nobody wants to let it out that, <laughs> golly, I'm looking for that. The Bible tells us, in the Christian heart, we're supposed to be looking for this. And we're going to get to what that should produce in us. But just please notice, in all these verses that we're reading, you're supposed to look. That's an active thing. That's going around the house looking for something. You have a, a, something in mind. You're not just stumbling across it. It's not by accident that you find it. You're supposed to look for it. Second thing is, it again uses the word appear or his appearing. He is going to appear in the clouds. He's going to call his church out of here. And then after that, when you put all the Bible together, that's when the wrath starts. And see why you don't want to be here. Do you see why you want to live holy for God and why you want to miss that? See, there's a... There are some people in church teaching that would identify someone like myself, someone teaching this as, well, he's an escapist. He just wants to escape what's down here. You're right. Yeah. I don't want to be here for that. And the Bible goes out of its way to say, not only don't you have to be, you shouldn't be caught down here. It's not going to be good. Jesus said these words, pray that you may be found worthy to what? Escape the wrath to come. Even Jesus said you don't want to be here. Because this is why nobody wants to read Revelation. There's all these weird symbols, we can't quite put it together, but it sure don't sound like anybody's having fun. It even talks about in Revelation, people try to, they seek death, and death flees from them. You, you can't take your own life, maybe, at that time. You've got to live through it. It's not good. Jesus said it'll be unlike anything the world has ever seen. Now think with me for a second. What has the world seen? People, if, if, if I was some of your ages and I saw World War II, some of the images that came out of Europe, to think that it's going to get worse than that, it's going to get a lot worse than that. Think with, back to Moses in Egypt when the water turned to blood and fire came, rained out of heaven, great hailstones. There was a plague of darkness, a plague of frogs, lice. It's going to get worse than that. So what Jesus said, the world has never seen anything, anything like this. So I am belaboring the point, you don't want to go through that. So the Bible goes out of its way to teach this idea that we're supposed to have this expectation that Jesus could come at any time. And the reason why it doesn't tell us exactly when that could be is we wouldn't live very holy up to that moment, would we? I mean, come on, can we just be honest with ourselves? Can we admit it? It's human nature. If we knew, I mean, for sure, because God doesn't lie. If he really told us exactly what time, and even if the world didn't believe us, there'd be a lot of people. There would be a lot of people. I'd throw myself in there. I, mean, I could sleep in. I mean, church this week, he ain't coming. Why go to Bible study? Go to missions? Why? He's not coming back yet. 
So the Bible goes out of its way to teach that he could come at any time. We're supposed to be looking for it, which all these verses tell us we live righteously, godly, and our absolute best. And with the hope that, you know, we know he's coming, and when he does, it's reward time. That's why we go to streets of gold. It's literally the, the best thing for a Christian is we, we actually get to go home. We get to go home. Well, let's go to Jude, chapter 14. Jude is this tiny little book right before Revelation. Because there's something interesting in here. Now, hopefully, anytime I tell anybody to go to the book of Jude, I say a very quick, small prayer, Lord, let there be no confusion. Because Jude is a strange book. There are things in here that don't exist anywhere in the Bible, and Jude talks about it like everybody knows exactly what he's talking about. And we don't. You have to be put a lot of things in the Bible. You can understand. I'm, I'm not saying you can't understand. You can understand everything he's saying. You just have to go to a lot of different places in the Bible to put it together. Jude, verse 14. He says that, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam. Let's slow down here. Who, who was Enoch, quote, the seventh from Adam? That's talking about way back in the beginning of your Bible, when God created Adam and Eve, it lists generations of men that, Adam, or that Enoch was the seventh from Adam. Adam had Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel, and God gave them Seth to replace Adam, Seth, and on down the line, Enoch was the seventh one. Noah was the tenth. That's who we're talking about. So what we're about to read is from almost the very beginning of the Bible. You ready? Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, he prophesied. Wait a second. Before we read it, look up here. I don't want you looking ahead. We are here. Jude is the second to last little book from the end of the Bible. And it's giving us information about a guy that lived at the very beginning of your Bible. And you know what is not included in Genesis? Is the fact that Enoch ever prophesied. I find this amazing. You can find out stuff about Genesis chapter 4, 5, 6. You can find information about that here in Jude and Revelation. You have to know your whole Bible. You're not going to know everything about Abraham just by reading in Genesis. You're not going to know everything about Adam just by reading everything there. The New Testament sheds light on all these things. The Bible is so integrated. Okay? Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, he prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. What is he possibly talking about here? This guy that was alive when Adam was alive? This guy who is the grandfather or the great-grandfather of Noah? He is prophesying, that means pre giving a biblical prediction that the Lord is coming with ten thousands of his saints. Got a question for you. Has that ever happened? I mean, Jesus was here. See, when he came out of the birth canal, he did not have 10,000 saints with him, did he? 
The first time Jesus came as that tiny little baby, that's a different event. Enoch, way back there, prophesied about what? His second coming. I mean, I, I can't tell you, I cannot answer the question, did Enoch know about the first coming? I, I have no idea. Did anybody in his generation? I don't know what they knew. The Bible goes out of its way to let us know that God was already prophesying, already giving words to planet Earth about what event? The fact that he would be coming someday with ten thousands of the saints. And you say, John, well, I mean, where's your biblical evidence that that's the second coming? That would take a little longer. But the Bible, you can read this in Revelation 19, when Jesus is coming back riding that white horse, he has thousands and thousands upon thousands of his saints with him. Because at that time, he has already removed us out of the earth. The wrath of God got poured in to cleanse this mess. And then when when that's all over, Jesus with his saints comes back to but the final restitution of all things, and we are with him to help him do his work. Maybe the Bible kind of makes it sound like he puts people in charge of certain things. He's coming back with ten thousands of his saints. Now let's read the next verse. Here's what they're coming for. To execute judgment. I always thought everything that surrounded Jesus was cuddles. I thought that's what they told me when I was a kid. I thought when I went to Sunday school that Jesus was, he was a lamb and he was kind of like a kitty and you petted him and you stroked him. Well, yes, when he came the first time, there was a lot of that. But there was also turning over tables, telling the Pharisees and Sadducees that they were on their way to hell. He did say those things. And here, when he comes back, he's executing judgment upon all. Everybody that has left down here, That's what he's coming to do. And to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. There is a theme in that verse. Four times in one verse, ungodly. See, that's all that's left down here. He has already appeared in the clouds sometime before this. He has snatched his people out of the way. And everybody that's left, everybody that's left down there, is a problem. I don't want to get into the specifics of what happens to some of those people because in the book of Revelation it does talk about some people still, they get beheaded for their witness. It makes it sound like some of those people They do get to heaven, but I want to be careful. I don't ever want to preach to people that, hey, you can mess around and you can still get saved during the tribulation. Even though the Bible kind of goes in that direction to show that some people come out of it, I'm not going to be responsible to tell people, just wait around and go through the car wash. I want to be careful with that. Because it doesn't ever, ever, ever paint a good picture during that seven years. It's just not good. Uh, Let's go now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians is before the Timothys, I think. 
First Thessalonians chapter 4. And this is uh, one of the, the best, the clearest, uh, some of the best information we have on the next time the earth may see Jesus, or at least some people on this earth. In verse 13, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 13, he said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now that's a New Testament way of talking to say somebody, a human being who is dead, but they're saved. They're a Christian, they're a believer, but they have fallen asleep. That's the biblical way of saying that their body is resting, their spirit's in heaven, they're dead. Their body is dead. That you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. See, there is hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Paul sometimes, the Holy Spirit through Paul, the way this is translated, it it can be a little confusing what is being talked about. He's talking about the people who have fallen asleep, but they're believers. Their spirits are in heaven. Their body's down here. And it says that if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, so that's a believer. Even so, those people which sleep in Jesus, who are dead, will God bring with him. So what's that mean? If if they're dead, how, how can he bring them with him? It clarifies. For this we say unto you, verse 15, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain, see, when Jesus comes, steps out of the clouds, there's going to be some Christians still on the earth, obviously. And those who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, They'll not prevent, they won't go before them which are asleep. So, the next few verses talk about, and this is in Corinthians, that those bodies of the people who were believers, that long ago passed away, their bodies are going to somehow reconstitute, they're going to meet their spirit in the air, and then immediately after that, we who are alive, walking, breathing, talking on this earth, we go right behind them up to meet Jesus in the air. And then, pretty much, the whole body of Christ is right there. He reconstitutes it all. Verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. There it again, the dead in Christ. Those people who are believers, who were believers, they died and we buried their bodies here, but their spirit lives in heaven. Their bodies are going to go before us and we're going right behind them. That's what this says. Verse 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. What's this whole event talking about? Where are we going to meet Jesus? In the air, this is not talking about Jesus being on this earth physically to rule and reign quite yet. This is talking about when he gets his people out of the earth. Get them out of there so that God's wrath can be poured out. 
And the description is, the dead bodies of believing saints go first, we come right behind them. We are caught in the clouds, and from that point on, we're going to be with him forever. We're not going to come back to this earth right away. We're not going to be caught out, boom, and then 10 seconds later, he just brings us right to this earth. He catches us out of here, and we remain there while the cleansing of the earth takes place. And then we get what Enoch prophesied, that the Lord's going to come back to this earth with ten thousands of his saints. Verse 18, Wherefore have fear, trepidation, sleepless nights with these thoughts. What is the reason that the Bible goes out of its way to teach us what is coming? Clearly, clearly it says we are supposed to be comforted with the idea of what we've been describing. That someday, out of nowhere, Jesus is going to catch his people out of here. And in the following years, the wrath of God is going to cleanse this place to a certain degree. And then Jesus is coming back with those people to set up his reign on the earth. Now some people think, you know, well, the, you know, there's not all that many details, so why do we even think about it? Well, there may be a little bit of truth to that, but the Bible goes out of its way. We're supposed to comfort ourselves with this. And you can't be comforted by something you don't know. Clearly, we're supposed to have it in our head. We're going to be taken out of here. We're going to go to the the, be with the Lord forever. Let's keep reading in verse 5 a little bit here. But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. He's talking about this day coming without notice. And he makes then two distinctions. There's a group of people that are going to be in darkness and a group of people in light. And the ones that are in darkness are going to be shocked. They're going to be overtaken as a thief in the night. At three in the morning, if you hear somebody break down your door, do you wake up with joy and expectation? No. It's fear. It's trembling. That's what it's going to be like for those in darkness when the Lord comes. But he goes out of his way to say, it's not that way for everybody. Those that are, verse 7, For they that sleep, sleep in the night. They that are drunken, are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. See, in that verse, it's another indication. It's not God's design to have his kids be a part, partakers of his wrath. They're always removed out of the way. And so he says that the children of the light 
those who have the light of the light of the world, we have Jesus in us. We are going to be removed. It's not going to overtake us as a thief in the night. Let's go to Revelation chapter 22. Let's go to the very end of our Bible. We started off by trying to maybe make a distinction about why we talk about this last banner, Jesus is coming, because it's not prevalent in, in, shall we say, every or shall we say most churches in America. It's just not. It's a, it's a subject, honestly, I think, that is intentionally avoided. They go out of their way to not talk about it for various reasons. But there is a reason to keep in mind to teach people that he is coming. And what we've tried to do is go through the Bible verses that tell us that we're commanded to look, actively search, look for his appearing. Jesus said to be ready, make yourself ready. And see, there's parables in, in your Gospels. There's the parable of the wedding banquet. There's the parables of the ten virgins where five are ready and five aren't. There's the parable of the talents where Jesus, uh, he talks about a nobleman giving his servants abilities. He goes into a far country and then he comes back to see how they did. There's the parable of the vineyard where he comes to get some fruit from the vineyard after he left some people in charge of it. And these parables are all designed on what big picture? The fact that one day Jesus is coming again. It is all throughout your Bible. I mean, obviously, especially the New Testament. But even the Old Testament. We could have went to so many places. I chose the one in Jude just to show that it's maybe the earliest recorded prophecy that we have. It's very close. And it's talking about Jesus coming the second time. That's kind of remarkable to think way back there with Enoch. The seventh guy, he was on the earth when Adam was. And he prophesied by God to tell the earth that one day the Lord is coming with ten thousands of his saints. That's remarkable. That gives you an insight to the mind of God. What was on his mind? From the beginning of the Bible, what's he thinking about? The whole story of your Bible is to get you ready for the very last two verses in your Bible, which is where we are. Revelation 22, verse 20. He which testifieth these things saith, and it should be written in red in your Bible, Surely I come quickly. Amen, even so, come Lord Jesus. Last message is, he's coming. You know, most churches say the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. And they say it all together. What's contained in that prayer. His will be done on earth the same as it, in, as, it in, as it is in heaven and thy kingdom come. The whole idea is his kingdom is going to come to this earth. Now, there are some people, I don't know how they do this, they teach that that's already happened. I mean, look around. If the Bible teaches in Revelation that Satan has been 
chained in the pit, the bottomless pit. If, if that's already happened, his chain is way too long. Way too long. Hey, there's people that be being beheaded over there in the Middle East right now. There is no chance, zero, that that is true, that the kingdom is already here. That is something that he is going to establish here on earth. I didn't take the time to do it. When the angel comes to Mary in Luke chapter 1, and she says, you, you're pregnant, and you are pregnant with, that which you are pregnant with is of the Holy Ghost, and she says, you're going to name him Jesus, and she goes on to describe, very, the angel says very quickly about this guy, it says, he will sit on his father David's throne forever. That hasn't happened yet. When he comes back the second time, that throne is going to set up. He is going to sit in that physical thing. He's not talking about the throne of our heart there. No, he's not. Physically, we can read Psalm chapter 2. He's going to physically be here on the earth to rule and to reign. The angel told that to Mary the first time Mary ever knew anything about being pregnant with the Savior. The angel included the words, he's going to rule on his Father David's throne forever. Forever. That's something talking about him coming back to this earth. He hadn't even got here then. He's just starting out in Mary. See, it's everywhere. It's literally everywhere in your Bible, and it ends with, Surely, behold, I come quickly. Father, we pray that the things that we have read, that they'd take root in us to, be, to make us a bolder Christian, to encourage us, Father, to live a godly life before you so that we would be ready and willing, looking for your appearing. Father, we pray for Pastor that wherever he is tonight, that you would guard and protect him, that you would keep him with all diligence, and Lord, give him a special treat to eat, something that he likes. We pray, Father, that you would bless him over there, bless his meetings, prepare the hearts of the hearers, and that you would bring him home safely. In Jesus' name, amen.